Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, well, we're approaching the business end of this World Cup and via a combination of some unspeakable Englishness and Pakistan doing what Pakistan does, this tournament has been smashed right open like a can of tuna thrown by the paperboy. I'm Phil Walker and this is the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. I'll be joined in just a moment by Andrew Alderson, um, but just today we have to commemorate Baba Razam Day. His first World Cup century, the second youngest Pakistani after Salim Malik to make one in the big show, and now the second fastest to 3,000 runs in ODIs with only Hashim Amla quicker in history. He was with us today, just three overs in, those owlish features alive to possibility, his bat seemingly massive in those reassuringly unpumped arms of his. It was tough at the start, uh, and he draped his bat over a few early as if throwing a blanket over a fairground fire, and then came the shots. One particular over from Trent Bolt featured a couple of high-handed cover drives from our man and two unplayable jaffers from the left armour. I tell you what, it should be added to the state school syllabus. The economy of movement and minimal pre-shot shuffle, the horizontal backlift, bits of Sachin in there, or a little bit of callus, a quiet nod to the old world, really, to a time when batsmen didn't have to wrap it round the backs of their heads uh, and swing from the neck. That pre-shot trigger brings the front foot pointing down the pitch. It's opening up the shoulders and the V, opening up the whole arena. So when a bowler errs, it's those hands detached from one another on the bat handle, just like Meandad, modelled on Meandad, and then they take over and get to make their beautiful shape. We said after India, he had 150 in four hits. I wrote at the time that if Pakistan were going to do anything in this World Cup, it had to be Baba Razam to inspire it. Well... Here we are, an unbeaten century, a kneel to the almighty, and suddenly Pakistan, a joint fifth, a point behind England, and they have Afghanistan and Bangladesh to play. With me to unpick Baba's 
celestial genius, let's say. And other less important mo- uh, things is, of course, Andrew Alderson of the New Zealand Herald. Andrew, sorry about that eulogy. Totally over the top, but I couldn't resist it. What was your moment of the day, sir? Gee, I feel like I should say something about Baba Azar after that, Phil. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll, t- I'll tell you what, my moment of the day differs slightly. I suppose I'm coming from a New Zealand perspective here, but I just think it was the delivery from Shadab Khan that was able to dismiss Kane Williamson to see uh, a lovely classical leg break and uh, snaffled uh, behind the stumps by Safra Zahman and that really was a pivotal moment 83 for 5 uh, New Zealand were able to recover somewhat uh, but uh, Williamson's ability in this tournament to guide them through has been so pivotal uh, that I feel that uh, that was really just a, a key moment where he was the New Zealand momentum shifted and or Pakistan's at least did as well mm-hmm. and they were in the ascendancy from there on in uh, had been in the ascendancy from the start already 46 for 4 Williamson and Nisham uh, tried to uh, re-establish things then Williamson was dismissed mm-hmm. uh, and as I say there was that partnership uh, between de Gronholm and uh, Nisham 132 I think it's the first six wicket partnership uh, of a century or more uh, by New Zealanders at a World Cup it was Nisham's highest score at a World Cup 97 not out uh, de Gronholm spent his longest time at the crease uh, as did Nisham uh, in an, a one day international uh, but it still wasn't enough with uh, as you have already mentioned Babar Azam <laughs> playing such a, an outstanding uh, role in getting to that century uh, for Pakistan and, and just what a scene here at Edgbaston too Phil just the yeah. The green kaleidoscope, if you like, of fans, and and certainly uh, in a way game for New Zealand in many respects, and uh, it was just uh, a remarkable atmosphere to be to be part of. Really, just that uh, that uh, I guess noise and, and cacophony, if you like, mm. uh, throughout the day that really uh, make, makes cricket a, a great sport to watch. Yeah, it has been driven by the fans, this tournament so far. It's been as much a story of what's happening in the bleachers as it has what's been happening on the pitch. Um, I just want to come back to Kane, Kane Williamson. Is there a fear that he's being asked to do a little bit too much, however Herculean and brilliant he obviously is? I don't think you could ever ask Kane Williamson to do too much. I think that uh, he's of that uh, serene... Uh, temperament that uh, allows him to just block everything out and be able to concentrate. There's been very few blips in his career. Yes, he has uh, lost a form momentarily every now and again for maybe two or three innings. Uh, Hopefully it's not the next two or three innings from a New Zealand fan perspective, but uh, by and large, uh, he's able to just uh, blank things out, which I think you know, most cricketers do struggle to do at times on, on the mental side of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is capable of, of taking them uh, well into this tournament, at least to the semi-finals. But that's really the key to this New Zealand team at the moment from what we've seen today. He needs more support. And yeah. if he's out for 41, and I think it's I think 14 one-day international innings in, uh, in England... Uh, that he hasn't been dismissed for less than 40. Uh, so that's uh, telling you something about the sort of form and, and the fact that he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of English conditions. Mm-hmm. I think that um, that he needs support from well, top order for stars in the form of the openers, Martin Guptill. We know what he can do in one-day internationals. Uh, Colin Monroe, we know what he can do in 2020s. Uh, but they need to, to find some form if they are persevered with. Henry Nichols on the periphery there could come into the side for the next match against Australia. Uh, you've also got, uh, I suppose, uh, the, the all-rounders have performed uh, but there's probably been just that, uh, that, that and, and yeah, at times the bowling has as well but I just think Tom Latham as well probably yep. needing some runs now he's struggled uh, in each of his outings so far so you've got Tom Blundell who's been in a bit of form and has, but it hasn't actually debuted in one day internationals uh, on the periphery that would be a bold call though at this uh, late stage of the tournament you mentioned Henry Nichols uh, who hasn't as far as I'm aware, played yet this this tournament. But you know, in Test cricket, he's he's a real outlier. You know, he's he's emerged he's top five in the Test rankings. Uh, you mentioned Colin Munro. I think he's made three 
T20-hundreds, and yet he's not really turned up in this tournament. Now we're at the business end of this show, and New Zealand are all but qualified for those semi-finals. Do you expect to see a change up top? I think you could change it for the next game onwards and, and, and stick with it for the duration. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you didn't change it for the next game against Australia, I think you'd have to stick with what you've got. I mean, I know they're almost determined to persevere with that unchanged lineup, and, and they admit the day that they, they made that false call about it. Australia, they should have played him on a turning pitch and I know that's a 2020 hindsight but it, it did come from the coach himself who says that almost from the first ball of the game mm -hmm. they saw the spin come on they realised that it was going to turn and they, they'd made uh, quite a crucial error so that's one that you would do match by match with you know, moving out a pace follow bringing in a spinner yep. uh, but in terms of the batting and the, the wicketkeeper batsman role at that number 5 spot for New Zealand they'd either have to make those calls for the next game or I think they have to continue on because otherwise it's, it's too late the tournament to expect someone to come in and be be playing the sort of uh, tempo uh, yeah. that you want, even though yeah you know, they've been practicing with the nets throughout. It's a, it's a big ask. Uh, you know, injuries. Yeah, sure. And they've played the same team throughout the tournament. Matt Henry looked like he might be slightly short of a gallop. I thought this morning maybe it's time for the great Tim Southey to to be recalled. Yeah, that's the other option as well. I mean, Tim Southey has a terrific record uh, in England. I mean, 16 one-day internationals. Uh, he's got 25 wickets at 28. Uh, I think reasonable economy rate too uh, in the modern times. I think about 5.5. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's uh, and such an experienced player as well. And, and we all know from, from the last World Cup how influential he was uh, on the New Zealand team getting through to the final. So uh, certainly an option. And, and Matt Henry too. I mean, he had a terrific start to the tournament. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I wonder if his confidence has been slightly dinted after that over the ball for Carlos Brathwaite that, that went for 25. Who, whose confidence wouldn't be yeah. um, dented by that sort of uh, brutal attack? Uh, I think that uh, yeah, it's something that he'll have to overcome in, in these latter two games if he is selected. So Southie's fit. Uh, Nichols had an injury at the start of the tournament. Uh, he's fit again now. So a fully fit squad. So really uh, some crucial decisions to come. Um, I want to I want to dwell on, on a couple of New Zealand's likely lads. I want to talk about Lockie Ferguson and Jimmy Neesham. Instantly lovable cricketers. When we think of New Zealand in World Cup cricket, we think of we think of certain kind of cult heroes. We think of Great Batch. We think of Dipak Patel, Chris Harris, Roger Twos even. Last time, 20-odd years ago back here in England. Lockie Ferguson and Jimmy Neesham fit right into that category for me. You know, they are, they are fabulous cricketers. They are very highly skilled cricketers, but they are instantly lovable characters as well. Talk me through these two blokes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jimmy Neesh, you've probably seen on Twitter, I mean, he, he tends to uh, to write his mind, and uh, he, he's his own man, and that's great. We need um, that in cricket. Uh, we need that uh, you know, refreshing personality, if you like, and mm -hmm. he's uh, he's someone who's struggled with the game and contemplated retiring 18 months ago, but look at him now. He's uh, he's on top of the world in many respects. He's had a five-wicket bag with the ball. He's had uh, the 97 on out today, among another. Which is a brilliant innings that today. Are, that are really highlighted. Um, Lockie Ferguson as well. I mean, he's someone who's really relatively new in the side uh, but uh, has excelled uh, almost immediately and, and really gives him a point of difference with that pace uh, mm -hmm. that he's able to provide so I think that uh, both of those players uh, Lockie's uh, yeah, he, he made a bit of a difference to start today too with a couple of rockets that he was able to deliver uh, to keep them in the hunt at least initially yep. um, with wickets but that uh, wasn't enough uh, to be able to sustain that performance but but yeah, they're, they're both uh, I guess add a bit of well spice or a bit of uh, you know, verve to the New Zealand uh, team dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, are your boys legitimate winners of this, Andrew? Um, I believe they are still in contention. I'm not. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're winners. I think there's. Uh, so if I was to pick um, 
a favourite at the moment. I still think India, for my mind, uh, right. most balanced side in the tournament, at least on paper. But Australia looming, as they always tend to do, Phil, yeah. uh, around about this time, especially after the turmoil that they've suffered over time. I think that uh, they've done incredibly well to get back on an even keel. And I'd put a lot of that down to Aaron Finch, actually. I've got yeah. a lot of time for... I've, I've uh, you know, observed him in press conferences over the years and stand-ups, and he, he strikes me as a really level-headed character. Yeah. And he looks like he's uh, made a terrific difference there for that Australian team after the, you know, I guess the, the tumult that they've been through uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and I think from there on in, New Zealand, in, in the reckoning, I mean, today okay. probably highlighted, highlighted a few deficiencies, uh, but uh, England also in the mix. And, and, you know, with Pakistan playing the way they are, um, <laughs> on a day like today, you think anything's possible and and, and, uh, and could, could move on as well into, into the reckoning when they, when they play with such fire. I want to come back to you in a moment, but we spoke earlier to John Stern, uh, urbane man of cricketing letters, former editor of the Wisdom Cricketer, about England's campaign so, so far and what the hell we're meant to do with this thing. Here's John now. So, yeah, I'm joined by John Stern, editor-at-large of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and formerly editor of the Wisdom Cricketer. It's the afternoon after the botched run chase before uh, John Stern. Has a sense of fatalism crowded out whatever optimism you may have had a few weeks ago? I suppose in a word, yes. Uh, It's a very peculiar feeling and one that I don't think we really saw coming at all. A sense of deflation and and shock. Um, Not really just about the Australia game. That was pretty bad, but Australia are a good side and they appear to be getting better. But you add it into the other defeat by Pakistan, again, you can... In isolation, say that's a blip, but the Sri Lanka one, I think, is the one that is really the key thing here and has fed into what we saw against Australia, which seemed to be a team devoid of all the belief that that we thought they had, and obviously we had too. Yeah, and it's all the more alarming for how far far they appear to have fallen so quickly. I want to try and get to the bottom of why they've now failed three times in four to chase down targets that at one point they were favoured to haul in. any theories? Any any attempts to try and unpick this this baffling situation? Well, I'm not sure that. I suppose my my, my hunch or the, the the observation is that this is a team melting in the spotlight, really, uh, which is which is very sad to see and and doesn't really. It's quite hard to to rationalise because it's not like they've just been beating poor teams over the past four years. I mean, they're not number one in the world for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, There is undoubtedly a fundamental difference between playing bilateral series and playing uh, tournaments. Um, Nasser Hussain interviewed Ricky Ponting uh, yesterday during the game, or not during the game, he did it the day before, and there was a real glint in Ponting's eye about when Nasser asked him about the difference between bilateral and and tournament play. And I mean, he didn't necessarily produce any great revelations, but... You know, there is there is just a fundamental difference. You're playing, you know, different opponents each game for a start off. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it sounds obvious, but every game matters. Although we thought in this tournament, maybe not every game would matter, but actually now <laughs> they matter a bit more than we anticipated. But there's maybe a slight sense with England, and again, this is very this is all hindsight, and you can you can depends which you can you look at it from different angles. But that slight sense that. You know, we play we play a certain way, and if it doesn't come off, then there's always another game tomorrow. And the problem is, at some point, there isn't there isn't another game tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't see all of the Sri Lanka game, but you know, and I know Sri Lanka bowled well, likewise Australia bowled well. But there are reasons why teams perform well, why your opponents perform well at times, possibly because you allow them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, uh, and England don't appear to have been as ruthless as you certainly would want them to be or as we probably thought they could be. So, you know, the absence of Jason Roy is a factor, but certainly against Sri Lanka, it shouldn't have been a decisive factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think possibly that, you know, just as teams talk about, I mean, everyone talks about momentum or whatever word you want to use, and it's, it's all a bit nebulous, really. But if it exists at all, and it has to work both ways, you, yeah. you can't, you know, a, a team will willingly say, um, you know, we're, we're on a great roll and we're carrying it into next week, blah, blah, blah. But they will very rarely say we're on a bad roll and we, and, and we can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Morgan has sort of alluded to that because he said the confidence is, has taken a hit. But I think, and, and possibly again, there's perhaps a naivety there, although again, there really shouldn't be, but mm-hmm. a naivety to think that, yeah, so they mess up against Sri Lanka, but hey, it doesn't matter because, you know, that's gone and we move on to the next one. Yeah. I, I think that is a real problem. I think you you can't lose a game like that Sri Lanka game and then expect to just shake it off uh, at Lords against Australia. And they look, they, you know, they bowled poorly. They bowled with, with a sort of diffidence mm-hmm. that, you know, belied their abilities you know, they won the toss and put Australia in in helpful conditions and, and, then, and then wasted the opportunity. And uh, yet Morgan, you mentioned Morgan, his, he was insistent that they'd bowled well up front and that they were unlucky. He gave a very punchy and pointed post-match press conference yeah. last night. You've interviewed him many times. Uh, you've met him a number of times. How do you think he is managing these expectations? Um, what's your impression of his overall demeanour in recent days? I wasn't at the press conference, but I've read about it, and he, yeah, punchy was probably the word. I mean, I guess, how else are you going to respond to a tweet from Kevin Peterson saying you look scared, other than to, he probably dealt with that quite well, really, mm-hmm. to be a bit sarcastic, but I think he's a very impressive individual. Do you think, John, that we, in, in the media, and those attached to the media, put undue pressure on these, these players with a lot of talk about cut-through, about legacy, about the future of the game? And There's no secret that in the ECB's corridors they are obsessed with success at this World Cup because they believe this will open doors to a whole new generation of fans. Players are aware of that because they're asked, they've been asked about it every day for the last six months. Do you think that we've been unwittingly complicit in piling more pressure on their shoulders than they've been able to deal with up to now? Yes and no. I mean, it's all part, I mean, that's what pressure is, really, isn't it? I mean, if, if no one cared about these games, then, then you know, they wouldn't, they'd be a completely different animal, wouldn't they? I mean, you know, playing a county championship match in front of, you know, 500 people is a wholly different thing to playing a game in front of 30,000 people. Yeah. But the words you use imply that there's something wrong with what's happening, which I don't think is the case at all. I think um, you, you make the very valid point that the ECB, uh, you know, it's all uh, the pressure. The pressure comes from comes internally, and um, and obviously it's amplified externally. I mean, that's the way it is. And frankly, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, we've seen it with England football teams as well in, in other different circumstances. But and people talking about pressure. I mean, I think you could go to any. This doesn't apply to cricket necessarily, except in India or Pakistan, actually, probably. You go to any, you know, many countries with a national football team, uh, and and you'd see pressure beyond completely off the scale, completely disproportionate attitudes to success and failure. So I think, yeah. you know, even allowing for the fact that we're, um, we're, we're there was an expectation that England were at least, you know, well, they're number one in the world, so mm-hmm. they're favourites, right? I mean, um, 
I, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything that has been said or written or done that is somehow disproportionate. I think, frankly, probably say the opposite because actually, if we're talking about cut through and so on and so forth, then this should be the talk of the country. Mm-hmm. And we know it's not. Yeah, and um, it was very notable yesterday that a number of Australians mentioned the five times world champions. It was mentioned in the commentary box, it was mentioned in pre-match and post-match interviews and from the players as well. The, the past is, is very much alive, it, it feels, in this tournament. England have a 44-year uh, itch to scratch and, you know, in other cases, such as Australia's, they are, they are parading their, uh, their, their past um, tournament wins and so on and so on. And it's hard to shake that this sense that all of this pressure, all of this expectation is loading up on England and, the, and that the past is increasingly hard to shake. But then maybe this is just journalism talk, I don't know. I want to ask you, John, um, are, are we unduly fatalistic considering they have two games to go or are we looking at these two games, India on Sunday at uh, Edgbaston, which turns and, is, and has turned today for the uh, New Zealand-Pakistan game and then, of course, New Zealand on Wednesday next week at Durham, where you imagine it will swing itself round corners. Uh, they are going to be two tough games, but can England turn them over? Can they, can they get what they need, do you think, still? They surely can, because they're not, they don't become a bad team. And I think that there's a temptation to think of them as flat-track bullies, and I think that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. They've, they've won plenty of series away from home. They have won tight games, big games. They've, found, they've adapted to ways of winning, but... It's it just it, it it looks unlikely at this stage, and you'd feel like. But I think it's 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 kind of gloriously impossible to tell. I mean, this England team <laughs> has confounded us in many ways, yeah. um, mostly in good ways, and uh, and obviously at the moment in slightly in in uh, unimpressive ways. Um, you know, I, w- I won't be backing them to do it, but they, if they, I mean, they're all about the batting aren't they and if they can if the batting can come off they've obviously their strategy for a long time was win the win the toss and, and chase and yeah. that's <laughs> as we've just been discussing has has come a cropper horribly Indeed. Um, and actually it's been it's been a hard tournament to for captains when they do win the toss because mm-hmm. conditions have been you know it's been unseasonably wet yep. at, at times the pitches have been hard to read and so it, it's you know, it's it's been tough. India do look really strong for sure. They, you know, we thought they were strong, and they they, they are. Um, it'd be it, nice if, if if Roy was was fit, which sounds like he probably won't be fully fit, but he might yet play. I don't know. I think you know they clearly need they need a big they need some big scores from 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 a few people. Um, yeah. I mean, New, New Zealand, New Zealand are a funny one. Obviously, we're speaking as they're in the midst of. Uh, an interesting game against Pakistan. They've, they, you know, unbeaten thus far, but they, but they've won a series of close games, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's impressive on one level, but quite unimpressive on another level. So uh, I could I could see England beating New Zealand, um, and yet it might be a dead a dead rubber. You never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, I I have plenty more questions to ask you John but no doubt we can we can unpick this later down the down the line we're maybe getting slightly ahead of ourselves here but the pessimism today is hard to shake I find all right John thanks ever so much uh, and we'll speak to you later on in the tournament no problem at all
Okay, Andrew, that, that was John Stern's thoughts. Uh, fatalism is kicking in, as due, as to be expected uh, with any English sporting psyche. Offer us some sucker here. Offer us some, some perspective on England's tribulations. The English side, I mean, they've got... To, I, I, one thing I worry about with that side is that are they too one-dimensional mm. in that they, they just want to continue that tempo and Owen Morgan has spoken about it a number of times, you know, the build-up to the World Cup and, you know, we've seen what they've been able to achieve, particularly in bilateral series over the last couple of years and probably beyond even since the 2015 World Cup. But in a tournament situation... I just wonder with the, the variables at play and adapting to surfaces, etc., and, and with the, the wet June that, that England seems to have had, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they're going to be able to do that enough, uh, particularly at the business end. That, that would be my biggest concern. It may all come down to that game next Wednesday at Chesley Street. Your boys against ours. All will be revealed. <laughs> Andrew, all the thank so. Yeah. Thank you ever <laughs> so much for your time, as ever. Well. Hopefully we'll pick up with you later on in the tournament as well. Go well, sir, and we'll speak to you soon. This has been well, the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. We'll be back tomorrow when Zafar Ansari will be joining myself and Yazrana to unpick the latest shenanigans in this, this suddenly rather gripping tournament, I would say. Don't forget to subscribe, of course, via the podcast app and Spotify and all the rest of it. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed Baba Azam Day. Podcast Network.